0: Well, we welcome you. This is part 11 in our series. We are marching through the book, The Song of Solomon, one verse at a time. And this morning, in this section, we're talking about the art of conflict resolution. And this is part one of two parts that we're going to be talking about this theme. Now, one of the strangest and most humorous stories I have ever heard about conflict in marriage is this true story about a woman and she asked her husband one morning to zip up the back of her dress. And he began to play with that zipper up and down in kind of a flirtatious type of way. And he ended up breaking the zipper. And of course, she got really upset because... It made her late for a meeting and all that kind of thing, and had to change her dress and everything. Well, that evening when she returned home, she was still angry uh, over her husband's behavior, and she found her husband working on the car, actually under the car, lying underneath the car from his waist up. And he didn't seem to hear her approaching, so she reached down and grabbed uh, his zipper on the front of his jeans and began, you know, zipping it up and down, just as he had done to her dress that morning. And then she walked into the house, and to her astonishment, her husband was standing in the kitchen. (laughs) And she she said, what are you doing here? To which, you know, he responded, who's that under the car, she asked. And, of course, he said, well, that's our neighbor helping me me change the muffler. (laughs) And the wife went pale. She described to her husband what she had just done. And uh, they both immediately, we need to go out there and apologize. And they found him lying totally still. He did what any man would do if someone suddenly grabbed his zipper. He sat straight up. Knocked himself out and was just lying there. Conflict can sometimes lead to embarrassing situations for like everyone involved, okay? Yeah. The Song of Solomon is about one couple, the Shunammite and Solomon. And Solomon, though, he's, he's, they're already married, and he's writing this book later, and he's reflecting on their marriage, their relationship. And the book covers the different stages of their romantic life. Scene number one was all about their attraction. Scene number two was about their dating life. Scene number three was about their courtship. Scene number four was about their ceremony. Scene number five was about their intimacy. And scene number six is all about their conflict resolution chapter 5 verse 2 to chapter 6 verse 13 deals with this. So, let me begin by giving you three introductory comments about conflict and conflict resolution especially in the context of marriage, okay? This is introduction. So, number 1, conflict in marriage is inevitable. Can you say that word with me? Inevitable. 1 Corinthians 7:28 You know, I don't know if you've ever seen this verse, but it says this. Paul said, those who marry will face many troubles in this life. Wow. That's a guy that's for marriage, huh? Would you underline that entire verse in your outlines? It doesn't say, we'll face few troubles in this life, but many, multiple. Wow. Now, there are three stages to every marriage. There's, first of all, the honeymoon stage. You know, the word honeymoon literally means sweet month. Your honeymoon generally is a time of sweetness and kindness. Typically, there's not a lot of conflict in that honeymoon stage. Typically. Then there's the disillusionment stage. (laughs) That's when illusions about the person you married, they disappear. And reality sets in. I mean, you thought you married Brad Pitt, you married Homer Simpson, okay? And these kind of, you know, realities begin to settle in, and conflict typically emerges in this transition between illusion and reality. And then there's the commitment stage. You discover your mate's warts and all, and you commit to loving them in spite of their warts and all with a biblical type of love. What stage do you think is going to experience the most conflict? The disillusionment stage and the commitment stage. I mean, those are the stages that uh, your marriage will experience the most time. And uh, oftentimes, typically, you're going to experience uh, conflict. The most conflict will be marked out and experienced in those stages. But the first point about conflict and marriage and resolution, it's inevitable. It's going to happen. Now, marital conflict tends to arise from one of five sources. Now, this is not an exhaustive list, but these are the big five areas. First is a failure of communication. When communication just breaks down, you're, you're missing each other, just massive problem. You know, that results in conflict. Financial difficulties, conflict. Sexual difficulties can lead to conflict. Problems with in-laws can lead to conflict. Disagreements about child-rearing. You were raised one way, she another, and, you know, clash. These are the big five that typically uh, characterize or lead to most of our conflict. So let me say it again. Conflict in marriage is inevitable. Second introductory thought. Conflict resolution is an art that anyone can learn. Anyone can learn conflict resolution skills. Conflict is inevitable, but it's never desirable. No one wants it. And conflict resolution is definitely something God wants us to learn in marriage. God doesn't want lingering conflict to divide your marriage in body, soul, and spirit, and that's what can happen. Ephesians 4.26 says, do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. The devil wants to get a foothold in your marriage. He wants to see conflict continue. And for some of our marriages, we've allowed him to get a foothold. And the reason is because we have not learned the skills necessary to navigate conflict (laughs) that leads to resolution. Resolution. God doesn't want your marriage characterized by unresolved conflict. Hebrews 12.15 says, Let no root of bitterness spring up and cause trouble. When conflict is lingering, that leads to bitterness, and that will cause trouble in your marriage. Now, conflict resolution doesn't just happen naturally. That is a lie. It just doesn't happen naturally. It's something that couples learn. It takes work. It takes skill. Conflict resolution, it's an art. It's an art. But an art that all couples can acquire. You can develop this skill. You can. Now, all couples will fight. Good couples, they fight clean. Bad couples fight dirty. Okay? Huge difference. Bad couples, watch this, they fight, they, they press on to victory. Good couples press on to resolution a bad couple they just want to win the argument good couples they learn no 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 we're gonna fight this out battle this out but the whole goal is resolution completely different healthy marriages are able to face conflict and negotiate the conflict to resolution that's a healthy marriage in Colossians three fifteen 15 says let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts Since as members of one body, you were called to peace. Would you underline that? You were called to peace. Your marriage is called to peace. That's God's plan for you and your marriage. Conflict in marriage is inevitable, but conflict resolution is an art that anyone can learn so you can have peace. Three, third introductory thought. God wants to help us improve our conflict resolution in marriage. This is what God wants to do. Help us. He's the one who comes alongside and equips us and helps us. And in this section, we want to highlight three steps to conflict resolution that will help any marriage. I mean any marriage. Yes, your marriage. Whether you're facing mild, mid-level, or like big-time severe conflict, these three steps we're going to study will help big-time. In this section right here this morning, we're going to just study step one. And just step one, it will help immensely in your marriage toward conflict resolution. Now, let's first understand the conflict that arose with Solomon and the Shunammite. Then we're going to examine this first step to conflict resolution. We're going to see it unfold as we kind of enter into the drama of what's going on Uh, in their marriage with Solomon and the Shunammite. So chapter 5, verse 2, the woman is speaking, and she says something. She says, I slept, but my heart was awake. Listen, my lover is knocking. She hears Solomon knocking. And then Solomon says, open to me, my sister, my darling, my dove, my flawless one. My head is drenched with dew, my hair with the dampness of the night. Now, in those days, even in the the kingdom where Solomon is king, they slept in separate rooms. They slept in, in separate beds. And what do you think Solomon is thinking about here? Solomon wants intimacy with his wife. This is what's going on. Solomon says, my head is drenched. In other words, I've been working like a dog. It's been a tough, long day at the office. And Solomon is longing for intimacy with his wife. Um, one of the greatest joys for a man is after a long day to come home, to be welcomed in by his wife, and to share intimacy, emotionally and sexually under the sheets. There's nothing greater. And Solomon is envisioning this wonderful experience as he's knocking on her door. But what do you think is going to happen? Now remember, in the dating relationship, when they were dating, she said, let His left hand be under my head and his right arm embrace me. Chapter 2, verse 6. She's envisioning the sexual position. In chapter 2, verse 17, in courtship, she called him my young stag. And then on their wedding night, she said, chapter 4, verse 16, blow on my garden, let my lover come into his garden and taste its choice fruits. Solomon is going, this is going to be an amazing marriage. Every night, this is going to be awesome. And I'm sure he was thinking, this is going to be a great night of love. I'm going to knock and, you know. And listen to what she says in chapter 5, verse 3. I have taken off my robe. Must I put it on again? I have washed my feet. Must I soil them again? In Hebrew translation, that means, I have a headache, Solomon. (laughs) that means I don't care about you. I don't care that you've worked all day. I'm not going to get out of bed. I'm not going to put my robe back on, dirty my feet. Ain't going to happen no way, Jose. I'm more important than you. Wow. I mean, he's got emotional and physical needs, and she's not even letting him in the door. we got conflict. Now, Ken Sand, in his book, The Peacemaker, he defines conflict as this. I think it's a great definition. He says, conflict is a difference in opinion or purpose that frustrates someone, someone's goals or desires. That's what conflict is. Your husband or wife, they have different goals, desires, and it frustrates you because you have certain goals and desires, and it's not working out. Now, what would you do if you were Solomon? I mean, think about what Solomon could have done. You remember in the book of Esther? King Xerxes requested Queen Vashti to display her beauty before his dinner guests, remember that? And she refused him? She was dequeened and banished from ever seeing the king again. Solomon could have said... I am the king of Israel. Open up, woman. You were working in that vineyard. I took you out of that vineyard. You were sun scorched. I received you. You wanted a wedding. I gave you the greatest wedding of your dreams. I received you. Let me in, you ungrateful woman, (laughs) you know. I mean, he could have done that. But I want you to notice what Solomon did. The Shunammite tells us in chapter 5, verses 4 to 5, she says, My lover thrust his hand through the latch opening. My heart began to pound for him. I rose to open for my lover, and my hands dripped with myrrh, my fingers with flowing myrrh on the handles of the lock. Solomon, watch this. He did not go in. He did not press in the door. He did not beat the door down. He slid his hand through a small opening to the inside of the door. And he placed something on the door handle on the inside. Solomon actually placed liquid myrrh ointment on the inside handle. Now, I know that is totally strange to us. But in the Hebrew culture, that was like a love note. To us, that would be like a box of chocolates. It would be like a dozen red roses. It meant this, I love you, honey. It was an amazing, incredible, tender act of love. I want you to notice what happens to the Shunammite. Look at chapter 5, verses 5 and 6. She says, I arose to open for my lover, and my hands dripped with myrrh, my fingers with flowing myrrh on the handles of the lock. And she says, I opened for my lover, and my lover had left. He was gone. Solomon actually left by the time she... Opened the door handle, got the myrrh on her hand. Now watch this. The very thing that kept her from him, the door handle, okay? Solomon placed liquid myrrh on it. Watch this. He covered that which was seeking to divide them with love. He covered it with love. What's the first thing you do when there is conflict? What's the first thing you do? Watch this. When your mate hurts you. And watch this, they will. Here's the first principle. Refuse to react, choose to respond. Wow. Notice, Solomon did not react. He responded. And I'm using the word react in the most literal sense. You see, you do not have to react to your mate in the manner in which they acted toward you. In other words, just because she did it to you, you do not have to do it back to her. She blocked Solomon out. She refused him entrance. And notice, Solomon did not one-up her. He did not break in the door. If your mate hurts you, watch this. You don't have to hurt him back. You don't have to reciprocate or mirror to your spouse what they have done to you. My mom always used to say to me, if that person jumps off the cliff, you don't have to. Two wrongs don't make a right. Listen to this wisdom. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 15. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong. That's the world's way. To pay back wrong for wrong. That's reacting. But listen to God's way but always try to be kind to each other. That's God's way. That's responding. is showing kindness. See, your response, watch this, is subject to your will. You you get to choose. You can respond with the love and the patience of the Spirit of God rather than the revengeful, an impatient spirit of man. It's your choice. Are you going to live reacting or are you going to learn to respond? Ken Sand in his book The Peacemaker also says this, when someone opposes or mistreats me, my instinctive reaction is to devote all my energies to defending myself and defeating my opponent this self-absorbed attitude usually leads to further problems. You bet it does. See, that's the natural way. That's the worldly way. We're not talking about that in this message. We're talking about God's way, not reacting, responding. Instinctive reaction is never the road to conflict resolution. Never. Instinctive reaction... Is like pouring gasoline on the spark of a potential conflict. Now, when it comes to reacting, in marriage, you can react hot or you can react cold. We'll talk about responding in a little bit, but marriages that are, have the habit of reacting do so hot or cold. A hot reaction is when she says, You're just like your father, and he says, You're a witch, just like your mother. And probably doesn't use the word witch. He throws the pillow at her. She throws the chair at him. And some of you grew up in homes like this. And you couldn't wait till you turned 18 to where you could move out of that home because that home was characterized by hot reacting all the time, there was no responding as the Spirit of God led. There was no putting myrrh on the door handle of that conflict and covering it with love. It was war. It was out there and everyone saw it, hot reacting. But then there are cold reactions as well. This is passive aggression. This is where one or both partners, they just shut down. They turn the cold shoulder. On the other, and they don't say a word. They avoid each other. There's this seething hatred and bitterness that's in that household. They will not talk to each other for months. They're still married. The conflict is so thick, everyone in that household can feel it. And all the kids walk on eggshells because mom and dad are not getting along. And this is just as bad, if not worse. Cold versus hot reaction. You see, when your spouse hurts you, and they will, you have a choice to make, don't you? You can react in the flesh, or you can respond in the spirit. Our goal as Christians is to respond the way Jesus would respond. When we react, we take on a role that uh, doesn't belong to us. We are to leave judgment into God's hands. And when we're reacting in a cold or hot way, we're taking on the role of God. Wow. Look at Romans 12, 17 to 21. It says this. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. That's your husband or wife. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody, even your spouse. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, It is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, this is responding now. If your enemy is hungry, well, feed them. If he is thirsty, give them something to drink. In doing this, you will heat burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, overcome evil with good. That's responding. Don't react in the, flesh, in the flesh, respond in the spirit. Solomon, I mean, she did you wrong. I mean, what? Why did you put myrrh on the door, handle? Solomon would answer, because my standard for conduct as a husband is not my wife's standard. It's God's call on my life. God says, husbands, love your wives. God says, wives, submit to and respect your husbands. Solomon was saying, that is what I am going to do. No matter what he or she does, I know what God's call in my life is to be. So I guess I need to ask you, who do you take your marching orders from? your spouse's behavior, then you're going to have conflict the rest of your marriage because you're just going to continue to react. Or do you take your marching orders from the Word of God? If this is where you get your marching orders from in terms of how you're going to respond, then you are on the pathway to seeing conflict resolution and peace brought back into your marriage. But it starts here. So we're not dealing with the symptoms. We're talking about the core. Very easy to look at your symptoms. You go into a doctor. and It's a foolish doctor, a doctor that shouldn't even be licensed, that just treats your symptoms. No, they want to look at really the core issue. And the core issue of all conflict is you've got a spouse or one spouse or both spouses, they're reacting all the time. They're not responding. You've got to deal with the core issue. And then the symptoms go away. Conflict goes away when you start responding. Now, this, this is the quality that we see in Jesus. Responding, not reacting. And this is the quality that God wants to bring about in our lives, and this is the quality that we see in Solomon. Now, look at Jesus. 1 Peter 2.23. When they hurled their insults at him, wow, Bible says, when they hurled their insults at Jesus, Jesus reacted. No, no, no. It doesn't say that. He did not retaliate. Whoa. That, that's responding in the power of God's spirit. He did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. In other words, he put, Jesus himself did, he put himself in God's hands. Wow. Diedrich Bonhoeffer said, when Christ calls a man or a woman, he bids them come and die. Die to what? Die to reacting. You got to die to that fleshly tendency if you want to have peace in your marriage. And say, I will be a responder, not a reactor. Huge difference. You see, if you have poise... If you maintain your calm, if you keep your composure, if you listen to God's voice, you're going to make a great spouse. And you will excel in conflict resolution. Peace will characterize your hearts, and it will characterize your home. Remember, it takes two to fight. It just does. Proverbs 15.1 says, a gentle answer turns away wrath. I mean, that's responding. But a harsh word, that's reacting, stirs up anger. Well, what are you going to choose? I mean, it's your choice. You have a will. No one's forcing you to react. That's you in the flesh. But in the power of God, you can respond. You can change everything. Respond. Refuse to react. That's called spiritual maturity, temperance, self-control. That's called Christ-likeness. I mean, anyone can react with meanness and anger. Meanness and anger... Those are just the normal reactions of pagans, people who don't know Christ. Now, we struggle. We fall into that at times, but it shouldn't characterize our lives. We should wake up and go, oh, what am I doing? We need to repent of that. God calls us to respond. She locks you out, you put myrrh on the door handle. What does the Bible say? Romans 12, 21 do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. You say, how can I become this kind of spouse, pastor? Only one way. <laughs> and it's in the power of the Holy Spirit. Because this power to respond, not react, does not come from you. It comes from God. Look at Acts chapter 1, verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses. Wow. You know, one of the greatest times you can be a witness is to your spouse when they have hurt you. Whoa. As you respond and not react, you are an amazing witness. You pray. You ask the Holy Spirit to empower you to live in the Spirit. Marriage is it's next to impossible without the Holy Spirit. But with the Holy Spirit, you know what the Holy Spirit does to your hearts and ultimately into your marriage? Galatians 5.22, but the fruit of the Spirit is going to bring love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. Those are all responses of the Holy Spirit to a person that's saying, Lord, give me your grace, your strength. Fill me with your Spirit to reflect you and respond the way you walk the earth and respond to Jesus. Ephesians 5.18 says, Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. In other words, don't allow yourself to be controlled by anything else other than the Holy Spirit. Don't allow alcohol to control you or anything of the flesh to control you. Allow your life to be controlled by the Holy Spirit that will produce the response of joy and peace and patience. Wow. Maybe a story will help. There's a story told about a farmer. This farmer had two dogs. He had a white dog and a black dog. The same exact size, the same breed. And the farmer's neighbor across the street would always watch... His two dogs fight. And they're the same size, but the the white dog would always beat the black dog. And the neighbor just could not understand why this was the case. So he came over to the farmer and said, you know, I I love your dogs. I always see them wrestling and fighting. The white dog always wins the black dog. Why? And the farmer, let me take you in the back. So he brings him to the back and he shows him where the dogs, you know, their dog houses are. And in front of the The doghouse of the black dog, the farmer showed him the bowl, which was this size that he would eat from. And then he took him to the white dog's doghouse and showed him the, the white dog's bowl, which was twice as big. And the farmer said, it's simple. The dog you feed the most wins. You have within you a white dog and a black dog. You have a black part of you that's called the flesh, and if you feed that flesh, you will react from that flesh, and conflict will continue to just emerge and and grow out of control in your marriage, or you can feed the white dog the new life that God has given you, where his Holy Spirit leads, and if you feed that new life with the things of God, that White dogs, so to speak, will just grow and grow and grow, and you will learn to respond in the power of the Holy Spirit versus react in the sinful ways of the black dog. You know, um, I remember my life when I wasn't a Christian, and I was controlled by the black dog. You see, when you become a Christian, the power of God breaks the back of that black dog And that black dog no longer has control over you, still influences you, especially if you yield to his power. But I began to learn how to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit and oh the difference it makes in your marriage as well. And I look at Tracy and I over the years and earlier in our marriage, we used to have way much more conflict and struggled with kind of resolving it. And now there's just this beautiful rhythm. I'm not saying there aren't times. But but you see, we have learned to address the core issue, which is you've got to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit to where you overflow with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control in your heart toward each other in your responding versus reacting. Let me give you a couple things that help us in our marriage. One, if you ever see Tracy and I on a Sunday, we are together. We are worshiping God together. We seldom, if ever, miss a Sunday. We worship Jesus together. When we drive in the car here to church, we are praying. We're praying for God to fill us with His Spirit and use us to touch people but also to meet the King of kings and the Lord of lords and to praise him together, to worship God with your wife, your spouse, is so important. And then, I think you know this, every morning, the greatest joy that we have is to wake up, Tracy and I together, and I put myrrh on the door handle. No, I don't do that. (laughs) We read the Bible, and we pray together. You know what we always pray? Lord, fill us with your spirit. This is what every marriage should do. If you don't, you're just missing out. I mean, it, it's, it's a joy just to read the Bible and pray. Beautiful. I mean, these are just a couple things that have 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 built us and helped us as we we live life together to respond rather than react. It all comes down to the power of God's Spirit to make us responders rather than reactors. Only God can do that. The flesh is to react. The Spirit responds. Does that make sense? So what I'd like you to do right now is I know this. There are many of you. I see some young people out here. I say no, there's no perfect marriage. Where again, conflict is inevitable, but it's learning to navigate it. Many of you have learned to walk in the Spirit, and you've grown in becoming responders. I, would you, at your table, just share how you? What has helped you with this first area? Here's the question: How can you grow better at not reacting in the flesh? but responding in the Spirit. How's God been, what's God been teaching you about that? What's helped in your own marriage? I'd like you to take a couple minutes and talk about that at your tables. Or if you're watching on video, that's great as well. Talk about this in your groups right now. Go for it. Okay, so this morning, we've looked at just part one in this little section about the art of conflict resolution. So I just want to kind of summarize a little bit of what we learned this morning to make sure we walk out of here with some key points in mind. We mentioned there's three kind of thoughts that relate to us all when it comes to marriage, conflict resolution. Conflict in marriage is inevitable. You're going to experience it this week, maybe this day, maybe at your table right now. <laughs> it's inevitable. It's inevitable. Paul said, in this life, you're going to have a lot of troubles as married couples. So there's nothing wrong with that. That happens. Two, conflict resolution is an art anyone can learn. I'm always learning more and more and more how to grow in this area. And and so are you. I'll never ultimately learn it all. I'm still learning. Thirdly, God wants to help us improve our conflict resolution in marriage. And he does it through his word. As, you, as you've been hearing God speak to you this morning, are you hearing his voice? God is for you. He's not against you. He's for your marriage. And he's wanting to move you closer in, in, to his heart and the skills necessary to navigate conflict that happens in all marriages. Now, I like what 2 Corinthians 5.7 says, we walk by faith, not by sight. Some of us have been trying to learn conflict resolution skills by sight only. You've tried all the things of the world and the things you think naturally would work. And get that's, that's sight. How's that work for you? <laughs> Probably not that good. The Bible says you've got to walk by faith. That means you have to trust God. Even when maybe God's way doesn't seem like it will work. But you've, if you want to see improvement in this area... You have to address the issue spiritually and go to the core of the issue. And, you know, it says walk. That's one step at a time. And and my encouragement to you today is just take one step. I mean, we just studied the first step in conflict resolution. Refuse to react in the flesh. Choose. Your choice is always you. It's an act of your will. Choose to respond in the Spirit. Wow. So you can go out from here and you can continue with the same way you've always done things in your marriage. Or you can say, no, I'm making a change. By the grace of God, in the power of God's Spirit, I'm going to start living my life as a husband or a wife, responding to my spouse versus reacting Wow. Tracy's favorite verse in the Bible is Ephesians 4, 29 and 30. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. What an amazing verse of Scripture that is. That is a verse that requires responding. Not to let any unwholesome talk come out of my mouth this week, but only what is helpful. That's responding for building my husband or wife up according to their needs. That's what Solomon was doing with the Tsunami. That it may benefit those who listen. And then he says, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. You see, when we choose to react, that's grieving God's Spirit. When we respond, that's working in tandem with the Holy Spirit. And let me encourage you with this final great truth, Philippians 4.13. I can do everything through Him who gives me strength. God wants to empower you. The Holy Spirit wants to come all over you. He's already in you if you're a Christian. And the Holy Spirit wants to give you His power to be a responder, not a reactor. And that is the first step For being on your way to be a conflict resolver, whatever type of conflict you're having in your marriage. Are you willing to take that step of faith? That's between you and God. I've done the best I can to preach on this. And now it's like, oh, Holy Spirit, we prayed together today, Tracy and I on the way here. I'm just saying, Lord, this can be so life-changing for marriages. If we will hear God's word And come before God with humility and ask for His power and grace to be responders. Choose that this week. And then I can't wait for next Sunday we come back, we're going to learn two other major, awesome principles. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank You for the beauty but also the challenge of marriage. Wow. And thank You, Lord, that in this section, we see with Solomon and the Shunammite that it reminds us that every marriage, there's going to be conflict. And thank you, Lord, that conflict resolution, it's an art, it's a skill any of us can learn. And thank you for this first step. I just pray, God, you'd fill us with the power of the Holy Spirit so that when we do face conflict, and we will, we won't react in the flesh, but we'll respond in the spirit. And maybe you just need to take a moment here and talk to God. Maybe you need to confess your sin because you have been a reactor in your marriage. And you need to ask God for his cleansing power to come over you right now and just take away that sin. Ask him. If you confess your sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. You just ask him right now to take that away, that spirit of reacting that you know is of the flesh. And now ask him to fill you with a spirit of responding in love and in kindness and in putting myrrh on the door, whatever that looks like. God will give you his power. Bill Bright called this spiritual breathing. where we breathe out, we exhale our sin, our reacting, and we breathe in the Holy Spirit's power to respond. I don't know if that word picture helps, but that's how Bill Bright lived his life. Spiritual breathing. And some of us need to practice spiritual breathing. Give out as sin, Reacting. Take in the Holy Spirit's power to respond. You ask the Lord to give you this grace, this power, and he will. He's faithful to change your heart, your life, your patterns. Ask him for that power to be a responder. And Lord, we pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. Everybody said? Okay.